Good morning. It's Saturday, January 2nd, 2021. Day two of the daily Bible readings on the Adventures in Odyssey Club. Actually, day one. Sorry. And today's Bible verses are Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8, and 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17. Andre Stoika read today's verses. Absolutely love his voice. He has such a, a calm and soothing voice, especially as wit. And start, he started out reading Psalm 119. And 119 is about the laws of the Lord. Verse 4 says, You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. And verse 1 says, Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. But then verse 5 says, Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees, because none of us can fully keep the commandments of the Lord. All of the commands that are left, that are laid down in the law, in the Torah, in Exodus, Leviticus, none of those can be fully followed by all of us. We're all going to break them. And so this, this verse that says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, and verse 3, they do nothing wrong, they walk in his ways, we can never fully reach this state of blessedness because we are fallible. But through Jesus Christ, we can have these stains of sin and of ignoring and rejecting God's law lifted from us. Verse 8 says, I will obey your decrees. Do not utterly forsake me. The final verse is a call to God to say, I can't do this on my own, but I'm going to try. And that's what some other religions do. I know Islam puts a high um, high regard on obey as much as you can, and then you will be saved. If you've done as much as you can, then Allah will have favor upon you and you will have eternal life or you will be forgiven. But that denies Allah's standard of justice by saying that if you, even though you're imperfect, he's going to accept you. There is no sacrifice in Islam like there is in Christianity with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ because Jesus was someone whose ways actually were blameless and he did nothing wrong. And he prayed to God to help God or to, so that God would help him follow his will to do what he had in the garden. That was his prayer. If this cup would pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. So that's Psalm 119. And then Andre Stoika read 1 Samuel 16 and 17, which are the verses where Samuel anoints David and Saul brings David into his, um, into his court to play the harp for him or the lyre. And then the chapter where David kills Goliath. I had a couple notes on these verses here. First off, in uh, chapter 16, this was something that Phil and I talked about during the Revelations discussion. Not Revelations in the Bible, Rydell Revelations. Where Samuel is committing a sort of half-truth or a sort of deception here when he's going down to anoint David. He asks the Lord, won't they know that I'm going to anoint David? Because Saul is going to hear about that. He's going to kill me. And the Lord says to him, take a heifer with you and say you're making a sacrifice and invite David and Jesse. He doesn't say David, but invite Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice with you. So this is a form of a half-truth, which Odyssey previously has talked about. Don't, talk, don't make half-truths. And then Phil came back and said, well, sometimes it might be necessary to make a half-truth or to even lie. And the distinction I want to bring out here is that in these verses, God is specifically the one who tells Samuel to do it. I don't know how that works today. It might be different. It might be the same. I'm not making a value judgment about today. That's for other biblical scholars to do. What I'm saying here is that God is the ultimate standard for ethics. The, the law is morals and God's unchanging morals 
uh, that he's laid down for us in the Bible are, are steadfast. They'll never change. But ethics sometimes do change. It's not relative truth, but it's a different application of the standards that God's have, and God has given to us. So in this case, even though Samuel is going down to give a sacrifice, he's not saying his full purpose here. And I don't think he has to, especially because the Lord is telling him not to. If Samuel lied and said he's not going down to anoint David, that would be that would be a different thing. Fortunately, we don't have to deal with that here. There are other places in Scripture where that's discussed, such as the midwives in Exodus is a, a good example. But here, it's more of the idea of deception. But deception for a right reason. And that's the standard of ethics that... Um, we really need to be discussing and really need to be thinking about. The second thing I want to point out is in verse 7, there's the quote where the Lord is speaking to Samuel and says, Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is in reference to Samuel's wondering who of Jesse's sons will become the next king or who should I anoint. And this verse is often taken out of context, but still kept in context, sort of, that the Lord doesn't care about our successes and the way we appear. For example, there's a footnote in my Bible that says that Saul was handsome and tall himself. And so Samuel is probably looking for somebody who is going to be like Saul. But the man who would be after God's own heart, David, was not really tall and handsome and not what Saul or Samuel would think to be kingly. He was very unassuming. And so by the Lord telling Samuel that I look at the heart, although you look at the outward appearance, it showed Samuel that he needed to rely on God because Samuel was saying, oh, is this the one? Is this the one? And in the beginning, Samuel was doing that. But then eventually, as we see in the next couple of verses, it changes to Samuel doesn't jump to the conclusions to think, oh, is this him? But rather he waits on the Lord. The Lord then tells him this is not the one. It's very interesting how we can follow that in our lives to think instead of judging things by their outward appearance, we need to rely on God to tell us what he wants us to do and what he thinks because waiting on him will always result in success and will always result, maybe not worldly success, but will always result in glorifying him and doing the right thing. So when Samuel anointed David, the very next verse says that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And this was because the work was done, because David had been anointed the next king. And by God's standards, David was the next king in a way, because the spirit had left Saul. Before that point, although Saul had disobeyed the Lord's commands and lost his right to be the king, he was still, he still had the spirit of the Lord guiding him at that point, or at least keeping him peaceful. But when the spirit of the Lord left him, it returned him to two things. One, his sin nature, as we all are without the spirit of the Lord in us when we are saved. And also an evil spirit, as it says here, an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And I've looked this up to try to figure out, is this God using evil for good or using evil as a means? Because I haven't seen this before a lot in scripture where God will use evil spirits. Uh, in a positive way. Sometimes he'll use them in a passive way where God will allow bad things to happen. Uh, case in point, Job, which I really need to go back and read all of at some point. But with this section, it seems like maybe God is sending a spirit, although a lot of uh, different passages that I've read 
or commentaries that I've read seem to imply that God is allowing the spirit to be there. And again, even if God is sending an evil spirit to Saul to torment him, that's not God creating that evil. That's God using that evil for good because what came out of it wasn't necessarily evil in a way. It was an evil spirit that was tormenting Saul, but what did Saul do that was evil? He was just annoyed, tormented, in a very extreme way, I'm guessing. But what eventually happened was that Saul heard about David, who played the liar, and called for him to come to his court, to come to his, is it a court? I don't know, come to his presence, and play it for him. And that was good. It actually was. And there was no, no problem with the means, because the means weren't themselves bad. Even though the spirit was there, the spirit wasn't necessarily doing evil things. The spirit was merely tormenting Saul. Whereas God didn't incite that. God allowed that to happen. By sending the spirit there, the spirit then did what the spirit did, which is the spirit's probably a demon. And in tormenting Saul, allowed David to come and fulfill what his mission was to do, what to, to serve Saul. Like, even though David had been anointed king, he still served under Saul and regarded him as his king which is very respectful of David to do. And again, although man looks at the outward appearance, although David was looking at Saul as his king, as was the right thing to do, and although he knew he was going to be king, God was looking at the heart and was focusing on David and David's strength and his self-control and the spirit of the Lord that was in him over Saul's lack of control. So the next chapter is chapter 17, the chapter in which David kills Goliath and the fight between them. And I've heard this story numerous times from Odyssey and from different readings and from, from, the, uh, from different sermons and things like that. But it was great to actually sit down and hear it in its entirety, read from the English Standard Version on, uh, by Andre Stoika, and I'm reading from the New International Version here. So... It shed a bit of a different light on it because a lot of the different parts of the story that I have been hearing about how David reacted to what was going on and how his, his brothers talked to him, it's very real in the Bible and everything is everything makes sense. Um, one thing I noticed was in chapter, I'm sorry, verse 25, it says the Israelites had been saying this, their rumors about the Philistine. And then the very next verse, David comes in and says, well, wh what have they been saying about him? And I thought, well, that wouldn't really make sense from a, a writing standpoint because you just said what the other people were saying about him. But then the next verse after that, 27 says, the Israelites repeated to David what they had been saying. So the Bible lays the context, then brings in David. David's here asking about the context and then chronologically says that the Israelites then told him about the context that you, the audience, or you, the reader, just heard about. It's very well-paced, as the Bible always is. And so David's example here when he goes before Saul and he says, I'm not, uh, or he, he kind of says, I am a warrior, but what he says is he's not a warrior. Like the other, the other soldiers there in the Israelite army are warriors. He doesn't express prowess in battle really. And anyone reading this verse can tell that because the warriors in the Israelite camp were probably a lot more experienced at battle than David was. They had probably fought off harder things than a lion or a bear. And David also says, what does he say? He said, when, uh, let's see, when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from a flock, a sheep from the flock, I went after it, seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Note that that's not actually what he does with Goliath. He does something a little bit different. But this story was meant to show that David 
at least has some knowledge of how battle works. And again, granted, that's not the most experienced that a soldier could be in the camp. Maybe it is. I'm guessing it's not. But what Saul saw in David after that speech to Saul about his ability to fight and what David says is the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. It was that line. And it was what David said there that both Saul, even in Saul's insanity and God being departed from him, I'm guessing Saul at this point was trying to understand why God had left him. And so seeing this new, new blood here in David and the spirit of God in David, because God then had his hand on David, because he was anointed king, Saul could see that and could see that there was something different about David. And regardless, that this was probably what the Israelites were lacking. I'm guessing they were worried about this new Philistine is here challenging us and we don't know what to do. And they're not relying on God. And then David comes in and says, ah, but I've done all this through God's strength. And so Saul says, we've been here for 40 days. This boy is telling the truth that God will prevail in this. So in showing David the least experienced of all the soldiers in the camp, but anointed by God, anointed by Samuel, anointed by God, challenging Goliath, who is the most powerful enemy at the time of the Philistines, having David then defeat Goliath is an incredible presentation of God's power and his ability. And because Saul could see that, and because Saul finally uh, admitted to God's power and allowed David to to do what he did, um, the Israelites were victorious. And this story ties back into what Andre Stoika read at the beginning of the Bible reading plan, Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. That was David. And that was Samuel as well, following God's law. That wasn't Saul. And you see what happened to Saul. He was tormented. He wasn't happy. But David, even in the suffering that was going on or the the trial he had to go through to fight Goliath, not suffering rather, you know what I mean? He was still happy about it. And he was victorious because he trusted in the law of the Lord. And back in the Old Testament, this was this was a commandment to keep the law of the Lord and to always try to do your best and to make sacrifices, actually make sacrifices when you couldn't. And David, presumably in doing this, finding favor in God's sight, was blameless and was blessed. And even though he did make mistakes later, God's God's plan of atonement in the Old Testament still worked. It was terrible. It was hard, but it worked. And we can follow this today through Jesus Christ. We all can be like David in God's sight by following the command of the Lord to turn to him, to repent of our sins and to rely on Jesus Christ for our salvation and for a continued renewal in our lives. Well, thanks for listening. I found this very, very helpful to me this morning to be able to just sit down and read from the Bible. It's not something I do often enough. And to be also be able to have Andre Stoika's voice in the background um, reading along with me was, was really great. So thank you to Odyssey for putting out this resource. It was great. 
and I'll be talking to some of my other friends about this, and I will be also back tomorrow with the, the next section. So thanks. Have a good day.